With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, you're listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. The 2022-23 EFL season is over. Here is your playoff final recap pod. As ever with me, Ali Maxwell. And with him, George Ellick. Luton Town are promoted to the Premier League. Sheffield Wednesday are promoted to the Championship. Carlisle United are promoted to League One. Commiserations to Coventry City, to Barnsley and to Stockport County. Hello, George. Hello, Ali. How are you? Playoffs, man. Playoffs. I think they, in terms of pure drama, not necessarily quality or anything else. I mean, I don't have one of those brains where I can rattle off <clears throat> or kind of think quickly back to the three playoff finals in 2017 without, you know, I know some people can do that very easily. That's not really how my brain works. I can kind of focus on something for a couple of weeks and then it. I need to be my memory to be jogged in order to, to go back there. But in terms of just pure drama over the course of the three... I'd be surprised if we've ever had any any better in my mind. I mean, I know that penalties aren't a great way to settle something as monumental as a promotion or, or not getting a promotion. But in terms of, of three contests where the storylines, just from the games themselves, vary from, you know, individual, you know, injury that... Is a, is a huge thread in one of them to refereeing decisions that is a very boring thing to talk about but played a massive part in another the penalties themselves just and also the fact that all three games finished level um, despite two teams going ahead and being pegged back in the second half like it was just I, I kind of felt exhausted watching all three on the telly so I, I don't know how you found it being in the in the stadium yeah it, it was exhausting on a sporting level to an extent but it's also incredible I'm really pleased that they didn't all get decided by a penalty shootout, partly because analysis of these games is difficult if they are so definitively drawn in 90 minutes, in 120 minutes, and even when 10 consecutive players score a penalty and then one misses and that decides it. Um, this is going to be the last pod for a while. It's the end of the season. It's our 92nd pod of the season. Uh, and so after an exhausting, incredible weekend at Wembley, forgive me, but uh, it does feel a little bit emotional. And I must say... So many people said hi uh, over the weekend at Wembley, on Wembley Way, inside the stadium, inside the concourse, in the stands, even at Baker Street, where I enjoyed watching the Sheffield Wednesday fans take over on Monday. People like Connor, the Luton fan, who I I met at Kenilworth Road the other day and then again bumped into him on the train uh, back into town from Wembley, uh, Ben and and John as well. All of it just made me feel very proud and, and lucky George, I think not just individually, but for not the top 20, for what we do and and what people give to us and do for us. I, I just feel so lucky. I think we are so lucky. We decided seven years ago that we would try and, and give it a go, try and cover three leagues and 72 clubs. And the, the core objective was just to try and give better coverage than had come before and and here we are seven years on you know three days at Wembley the opportunities we've had work-wise on camera on microphone uh, the people we've met as well it's insane it's absolutely it's beautiful I'm I'm feeling very lucky and emotional yeah me too and, and I think this is where you know I, I think the way that we probably have, have looked at the pod over the last years changed quite a lot and a year or two ago it was great that we were doing a podcast and then being able to cover the leagues on a few channels and for uh, a few reasons at the moment you know that we don't necessarily have the platform to do that in terms of our our tv work but i think that means that what that's going to result in is not the top 20 being much bigger going forward and for any you know efl fans who enjoy listening to us every monday and thursday the good news is that we are you know rather than taking 
losing a bit of work as a knock as maybe a sign that we're not kind of worth pursuing we're going the other way and we are doubling down and we are going to be doing a lot uh, across different platforms you know obviously the 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 not top 20 squad's been a massive success the Substack has been launched there's other irons in the fire and we basically want to dominate this game um so we are going to be on the front foot we're going to be high pressing high intensity and dominating the ball and winning the xg battle so look out for that yes that's it we we are we're going to go harder than ever now we're going to do more than ever now we're going to work more than than ever from now or really after a few weeks to recharge more coverage more content more love for these leagues but we do need you though like podcasting isn't a, a massive and limitless cash cow. So we do need support. And if it could come from those who love the product and who want to offer their support, then that's equally special. We need you on NTT 20 squad, which you can sign up for using the link in the description. And I reckon for almost all of you, it'll be a great place to be a member of. We need you to support the newsletter. When we launch the paid plan ahead of next season, the EFL newsletter by NTT20 on Substack, uh, we would really, really desperately need support in order to make sure that we are creating the best coverage of the EFL, not just on the pod, but written and, and on other platforms as well. I'm, I'm sorry to be so direct and I'm sorry to delay the, the, the playoff final chat, but... I did want to say on this, the 92nd and final part of the season, we need you to support us. So so please do bear that in mind ahead of next season. If you like what we do, there are ways you can support us. If you're able to part with the, the price of a London pint or two a month, it makes a massive difference to us. For example, we've just signed on our first proper office space, which will carry us through next season, which will allow us to work together closely and do more. Uh, and that's because of the support of uh, Not The Top 20 squad. So... Uh, Thank you for listening to that on the newsletter this week. We'll be publishing three season reviews, uh, one for each division. Uh, Obviously, you can't move for pre-season content these days, but in terms of of a definitive, uh, detailed recap of all 72 EFL teams uh, written by fans and for fans, I don't think you'll get that anywhere else. So please head to ntt20.substack.com and sign up for the newsletter today and enjoy our three season reviews that will come out over the course of the week. Football, George, happened. Quite a lot of it. Uh, We'll start on Saturday. Championship playoff final. Luton won. Coventry won. After 90, after 120, Luton win 6-5 on penalties. 11 were scored in a row. They were spanked home. The keepers weren't (laughs) standing a chance until Fankati Darbo just got it all wrong. Got it all wrong just simply kicked the ball with the wrong part of his foot and it went high and it went wide and Luton are now a Premier League uh, club. It, it's it's a difficult game to analyse, George, right? Because it was so close. My brother, who I was watching with, said uh, Fan- Fancati Dabagio when it went over the bar, which I thought was quite um, witty and quick of him. Yeah, it was a, a game between two really informed sides who... Um, fully deserving as we said in the preview of their position in this perceived as minnows but you know in, in my mind two teams who were very much deserving of the opportunity to to get into the Premier League two teams who were very hard to beat and break down and um, it was a game yeah full of again full of drama I think we saw two goals of, of the, the highest quality the Elijah Adebayo assist for the um, opening goal from Jordan Clark was magnificent. It was like a, a light version of the Alexander Isak assist that we saw um, in the Premier League a, a few weeks ago. Definitely not as good, but still and had the defender on toast and um, pulled it back for a brilliant finish from Clark. Um, and then the, the Coventry goal as well, which was kind of almost like a bit of a carbon copy. And we said... We, we, we said... Coventry aside who are so devastating on the counter-attack and Luton generally aren't caught on the counter and they weren't all game apart from once where it was a bit of hold-up play from the Jokeres. It's fairly deep and then getting the ball into into Harmer who we know can create from deep, getting it wide back to Jokeres who can run the channel so well, setting it back and, and again, just a magnificent finish first time. Um, interesting how, how similar they were in terms of style if not the actual, you know, the, the move itself was similar if not the finish and the, uh, and the run down the left-hand side. So two moments of quality, and it wasn't, you know, sometimes we see playoff finals, 
and thinking back specifically to the Bristol City Hull game where a moment of quality can be decisive in what is a pretty poor game. You know, that Windass volley was an unbelievable moment in a drab 90 minutes of football. Um, that wasn't the case here. I, I thought both teams really gave it as good as they as good as they could have done. I thought the second half was was fairly open. Extra time was very good. You know, there was no sitting on um a position here, in my mind at least. Um, but we have to talk, of course, talk about. I, I think you know, even though and touch with everything seems to be okay, from the moment that Tom Lockyer went down. I mean, I know you were at the at the ground and and you know couldn't really work out what was going on watching on TV. Immediate. I mean, unlike previously when we've seen players collapse on the pitch, there was a bit of. Uh, you know, we, we weren't sure at the time. And, you know, they Sky interviewed David Craig, who said that, you know, the Lockyer's parents had come down, but there was still no indication as to what had happened. You know, it, it looked like he could have easily, even though there was no one around him, gone down due to an injury, like a freak injury you know, with his leg or something, or it could have been something more sinister. Um, but I think as soon as he was taken off and the word had come out that he'd gone to hospital, I was amazed, A, at which the intensity in the game managed to continue and that Luton were able to, you know, with, you know, of course, a, a massive player for them, but more importantly, a teammate of theirs, um, with a massive question mark about his immediate well-being to, to, to any degree. I thought for the game to maintain its intensity was incredibly impressive. I thought um, there was, uh, you know, part of this game felt like it was always going to be defined as to what happened with him. And after the game, that the Rob Edwards interview um, with Pratt's and, and the rest of the guys, where you know Rob, Ed, Rob, Edwards, Rob Edwards was shown the tweet from from Lockyer's dad, uh, basically confirming that he was okay, and the raw emotion that you saw there from Edwards, who hadn't really even celebrated the final whistle in, at the end of the penalties, that I think in my mind will be the the lasting memory from this final, and the players holding up his shirt. He's been a, a huge player for them all season, both in terms of being a defensive rock. You know, when you think about the players who play either side of him, it's kind of a crazy back three that they've got um, in terms of, 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 of sheer personnel. You normally think of a back three being um, pretty rugged defenders. And, you know, we, we spoke so much about Sunderland's defence being makeshift. And, and Lockyer is, you know, the only definitive centre-back here who's been such a, a massive player for them, but also providing a lot going forward, um, especially in the, in the closing stages of the season. So... Um, you know, for Coventry, who've had such an amazing season and, you know, brighter times, more bright times on the horizon, I'm sure, under the new owner and with Mark Robinson signing a new contract. Um, but it did feel like in terms of the pure narrative here, it would have been very, very tough on Luton, given what they've gone through on the day to, to come away empty-handed. And especially after having finished third and gone through the season they've had, um, it was an amazing ending to an incredible season, an incredible journey from, from the National League that isn't finished yet. And uh, yeah, delighted that, that the news that came from the hospital afterwards was generally positive. Yeah, absolutely. The lack of certainty in the stadium um, was palpable. The the concern, particularly, I must admit, there was like a, a very tangible sort of shift in the atmosphere when the Coventry physios sprinted on, having been called over pretty quickly. Like, um, uh, whether it's an overreaction or not doesn't really matter. The fact is that over the last few years, We have seen a few incidences, very high profile on football pitches of players collapsing. And so, you know, your mind instantly turns to that. And I'm so pleased that that uh, Tom Lockyer is okay. And just echo what you say about how impressive the the response was from his teammates um, and and well, from both sets of players um, that the the football match continued after such a scary moment. Um, Loved both goals, uh, loved Luton's goal being, you know, made in League Two, Jordan Clark obviously having uh, really kick-started his career with Accrington Stanley in League Two and then uh, in League One. Um, talked about him a lot on the pod in the last few weeks. I, he was personally my man of the match, although uh, the man that assisted his goal, Elijah Adebayo, was the official man of the match. Uh, also uh, signed from League Two. Oh, Clark, I suppose, was signed from League One, but Adebayo straight from Walsall. Um, and uh, and I love that. And I think it's just a, a lovely little uh, microcosm representation of, of how Luton have done it, where they've signed players from. Um, uh, the fact that they've had to sign players from League Two and, and these are now guys that are taking them into the Premier League. Uh, it's just one of many reflections of, of what an incredible uh, decade or so and, and even the last few years have been for this football club. George, uh, just reflect, please, on the fact that Luton Town are now a Premier League club. I sort of 
I, ca I can't actually believe that we won't be talking about Luton Town again next season. We've covered them in League Two, in League One, in the Championship, but I'm so, so happy about it. Yeah, me too. And I can't wait to see, you know, often when we see a team get promoted to the Premier League, some of them feel like they're EFL clubs, even when they're up there. And I'm sure Luton Town fans wouldn't begrudge me saying that's the case. I think if you are someone like us who um, supports EFL players when they graduate to the Premier League, and I think Luton feel to me like they are going to be representing and flying the flag for, for the EFL when they when they get there next season. Um, it blows my mind when you think, you know, we talk a lot about the job that Nathan Jones has done, did at Luton and, and the rest of things, it's mad that in this ascent from League Two to the Premier League, only one of those promotions came under Jones. You know, the only the only promotion Jones has on his CV is the promotion out of League Two all those years ago, um, which again just goes to show that this is a club who have built a, a, a big team successfully for, for winning games of football and overachieving on the pitch. And therefore, when... Jones left the first time and Harford came in. Um, the ship wasn't rocked. They managed to get promotion out of League One. And this time, the appointment of, of Rob Edwards was a masterstroke. And, and I really, you know, I, I was engaging with some people on Twitter a bit the other night and um, after the game. And there were some suggestions that, you know, it was just, uh, it was Jones's side and, and you know, the jury set out on Edwards. And I think that's incredibly disrespect, disrespectful for the job that he did. I think in terms of the way that, you know, Luton have always been a pretty high intensity side fairly direct in terms of their attacking output. That's not necessarily to say they're long ball. It's just not, they're not a team who look to retain from deep and, and build play up patiently. It's it's, it's always pretty, um, pretty aggressive and, and pretty direct. Um, but I still think the way that they attack and, and the way that they, um, and the way that they defend in fairness and the way they are in possession has changed under Edwards. And I think we've seen, if you look at the personnel now, you know, if you look at the, the, the positions that players are playing, the formations that they play, um, and just the personnel who are currently impacting games consistently. It's it's very, very different to the team that, that was left under Jones. Um, Edwards has done an unbelievable job. I think to have a, a manager who has managed two full seasons in the EFL and has a, a title win in League Two and then a completely against the odds playoff final win with Luton Town to get to the, in the, into the Premier League, it's as exciting a, an infancy to a manager career. even two full seasons. It's less than two full seasons. He's got two promotions. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is. Remote. I guess you have to put in the the the, the uh, taking Watford to, to fourth place <laughs> after seven games as well. If, if you're going to give them the full seasons, which uh, you know, in hindsight, doesn't look like the worst um, job he did there. It is incredible what he's done. Um, he is incredibly hireable, I would say, in every respect. You know, he's erudite. He is tactically very savvy. He's good with the media. He's obviously very, very good with his players. You know, going back to that interview after the game, talking about Lockyer, you can see the bond that he's obviously forged with with his players. Um, and as I said at the time, I do, you know, Luton are going to be written off. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously in agreement that they, they are a side who are probably the most likely to finish bottom next season in the Premier League, given what their budget would be like and the rest of things. But I do think the way that they play has... You know, it, it fits in with a survival side in the Premier League. You know, you look at Everton this season, who when they when they had to fight tooth and nail to stay in the league, they went to into to get Dyche, who was you know an antidote to, to what had come previously. I think Luton, being one of the few sides in in the top flight who will look to play the way that they play, would be a benefit. Teams won't be used to it at all. We see very very few sides. Um, approach games the way that they do but they are they aren't a low block team they aren't a side who are going to drop in and let you and let you play and not the ball around outside the area or they haven't been this season but we'll see how it goes um if, if they look to change that um I, i'm really excited to see how they get on i think they'll definitely surprise a few people i think their recruitment again in the summer will probably be inspired it normally is they'll pick up players who i'm sure you and i will look at when they sign them and think hmm Okay, that's uh, an interesting signing. And then they will improve and show form we hadn't seen previously. Um, they are the masters of doing that. So over the moon for them. Delighted. Um, but commiserations to Coventry, who you know feels like a, an incredibly unlucky loser here. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about that. We, we kind of said before this game, it was almost a horrible one from, from a, a neutral perspective. But as neutrals who are obsessed with these leagues and are obsessed with clubs that just get it right... Uh, and, and do good things and are rewarded for it. It was kind of horrible to know that one of the two teams wouldn't win promotion, given how deserving you know they both have been over, over time. Um, 
I've, I went through a few of the Luton players in the previous. I'm not going to go back through all of them, but I, I, I did a bit of research this morning. I think between 10 and 12 of the current Luton squad have played non-league football in their career. Now, some of them have, have been you know, short loans when they were very young, but some of them have, have played there as permanent players. Some of them have been playing in the fifth tier of English football or lower, and I'm sure at that stage would have had some uncertainty about what their future would have been as a professional footballer. I think one of the things that I always feel really strongly when I'm at Wembley for these games is, aside from just enjoying soaking in the the incredible elation of the fans, is is just watching the players walk around, staring at, at the adoring fans, waving to their families, celebrating with their families, and just having a moment to try and appreciate their own journeys um, professionally um, and and kind of psychologically I guess and try and try and understand what it must feel to know that uh, for, for most of them they will be Premier League players next season having spent most of their career with probably no one uh, would have would have guessed it for, for most of these players so uh, there you go as for the club I mean the story is unbelievable there has to be a film there should be a film um, 2008-2009, Luton Town were deducted 30 points. 30 points they were deducted in order to make sure they were relegated out of the Football League. In doing so, they still managed to win the Johnson's Paint Trophy, which I love. So they were a League 2 team and they got relegated from League 2, but they won the, the, the EFL Trophy. Um, they had four years in the conference. They lost in the playoffs twice in that spell, but they got stronger and they got up finally, um, winning the title under John Still. And then they got up again after a couple of years. And then they went straight up again. And then a few years in the championship, they have gone up once again. For a non-parachute payment club to finish in the top six twice in a row is fantastic. For them to have got stronger after last year's uh, top six finish is fantastic. Uh, and I just want to mention a couple of other people because I've been lucky to be welcomed by Luton a couple of times over the last few years when I've wanted to go to games at Kenilworth Road and I've been able to meet a few of the people who have, have been involved sort of behind the scenes. And I, I've actually not met Gary Sweet, the CEO, but from everything that I've been told about him, from people that know him and know how he operates, he seems like one of the best football CEOs that could possibly exist. His drive and his energy, I think, really sets the tone at the top of, of things off the field for Luton Town. Uh, and I'm so pleased in terms of the stadium project and the future of Luton Town that, all being well, the finances involved in this promotion will help secure them and, and help them you know, move even further up the food chain of English football with, with Sweet at the head of it. Uh, his COO, Paul Watson, is, is someone that I have spent a fair bit of time with as a really, really lovely, very very welcoming guy uh, when I've been there and uh, he's been strongly linked to joining Swansea this summer actually potentially as their CEO so uh, that will be something to watch uh, I just know him as someone who works incredibly hard and who you know working at this club has learned no doubt a huge amount about EFL football uh, and running football clubs that do well um, Mick Harford as well is such a lovely part of, of the whole story and beloved uh, by everyone who works at Swansea and, and all the fans as well but we have to mention our friend Jay. Blades Analytic, many people will still know him as that Jay Sosick uh, to put some respect on his name because for a few years he entertained and informed us all uh, on Twitter in particular with, you know, still probably for me the best EFL Twitter analysis that has existed. Uh, and then, of course, inevitably, he got his opportunity within the game. Uh, first with, with Peterborough, uh, then via Market Insights, which he helped to co-found, uh, and now at Luton Town for just over two years. And uh, he's always the first to say, you know, when they sign a player, and I go like, oh, Jay, we've been talking about him for, for years, and you, you've just signed him for a championship club and a league too. He's always the first to say, like, mate, it's, it's not how it works. I don't... I don't pick the signings. I don't sanction the signings. But I know there are a few players in that squad that have Blades Analytics fingerprints all over them. And uh, many of them are now uh, worth a hell of a lot more than, than when they were signed and they have contributed to this success. So uh, let's wish them well in the Prem. It's going to be very, very difficult. But frankly, who cares right now? Um, and they can be buoyed by the fact that none of the teams that went up last season are coming back down to us. Uh, in fact, only five of the last 15 teams to go up have come straight back down. Uh, as for Cov George, just a quick one. What next for them? I 
with the future of, of Gus Harmer and Victor Jokeres certainly up in the air, that kind of feels like a big place to start. It's, in my eyes, going to be hard for them to replicate this next season. But, of course, a lot depends on, on what they're able to do with the finances brought in by those two players. And, of course, Mark Robbins has problem solved time and time again. Yeah, he has. I mean, I think the takeover going through and Robbins signing a new contract is obviously incredibly important. The the issue that you touched upon there is that both uh, Yukares and and Harmer, um, their deals expire in 2024. So they've got a, a year left to run. Having not secured promotion to the Premier League, it feels very, very unlikely that either will be willing to stay at the club. Um, and I think it's a difficult one for the new owner to, to do here because, yes, keeping hold of them would please a lot of the fans. But realistically, their stock is incredibly high right now. I think Harmer, over the the, the playoff, the, the three playoff games, um, has, you know, he's shown himself over the last couple of seasons in the championship to be a top flight player anyway. But I think he's really kind of burst, not not burst onto the scene, but I think any doubts around what level he could play at or what calibre of Premier League side could be interested in him. Um, I don't think he'd look out of place playing for most Premier League teams in my mind. And that will come at a price too. So it's almost, I think if you're a smart club, I know you've been on the brink of the Premier League here, but if you back yourself to, to reinvest that money well, as they have done in the past, cashing in on, on both is probably the smart thing to do rather than risk losing it either than for free next year. However, that leaves you with two huge holes to fill when you also consider that Doyle is on loan from Manchester City, that Luke McNally is on loan from, from Burnley. Suddenly, you've lost the spine, basically, of your team that got you to where you, to where you got to. And in that sense, you know, we're going to talk about other teams who've, who've lost playoff finals. In my mind, the, t- the team that lost the League One playoff final and the team that lost the League Two playoff final are incredibly well set for next season right now if things don't change. With Coventry, it's hard to make that same. Um, even though I... I massively respect what they're doing as a club and think Robbins is a, is a great manager and unless they keep hold of those players who you think they're going to sell then there's a, a massive rebuild to do now I, I kind of back them to do that I guess you know we've seen their their recruitment being so strong in the past um, but I, I you do kind of wonder if maybe this was their opportunity to do it in the short term but having said that we don't know what level of what level of investment we're going to see from from the new owner as well um, the proof will be will be in the, in the pudding this summer. So um, yeah, I, I feel for them because it's been an incredible season, and it's been an incredible rise through the leagues, given everything that's gone off gone on off the pitch. Um, and it was to, to lose on a penalty shootout was was incredibly tough for for their fans to take. Uh, and they'll just be praying and hoping that somehow they manage to, to to see an announcement for another long term deal coming out in the coming weeks. But I, I don't know if I can see it. That's the end of the championship twenty two twenty three season. It's been a good one. Next season looks spicy as hell. Uh, We've had the old graphics doing the rounds. All the badges. Here are the teams that will form the championship next season. And it looks absolutely uh, incredible. I can't wait for it. We're getting three new-ish teams down from the Premier League in, in Leicester, Leeds and Southampton. Of course, down in, in League Two, we're getting Wrexham and Notts County as well. Those five teams will be the five new teams on the pod next season. And uh, I've got a, a serious appetite for that. So um, really looking forward to Championship next season. In League One, well, Sheffield Wednesday won't be there. They'll be in the champ, part of that. Very, very nice looking league next season. Barnsley, I'm afraid, will still be in League One because Sheffield Wednesday won 1-0 after extra time. George, Josh Windass with the last action of the whole game heading Wednesday into the championship. In doing so, becoming part of uh, playoff folklore, not just by scoring a historic, iconic goal for Sheffield Wednesday, but also... Of course, his dad, Dean, having scored a famous and iconic playoff final winning volley 15 years ago. Uh, George Wednesday are in the championship. Uh, Let's touch on the game. Uh, Wednesday started the quicker. Uh, Bannon had a shot that was brilliantly blocked by Thomas. Uh, Iorfa forced a a smart save out of uh, Eisted, a a close ranger that Eisted sort of swatted away. Uh, But for the most part, the first half was pretty slow, pretty cagey. And I think it's fair to say the two teams seem to be kind of cancelling each other out in the sun. There was just a lot of balls chipping the channel, uh, not a lot happening on that front. And then at the start of the second half, it all went off. 
<laughs> you know, if you told me at half time yesterday that this was going to turn out to be one of the most eventful playoff finals I can remember, I'd have been pretty <laughs> surprised because, as you say, the first half, not much happened. Wednesday looked like they were going to possibly just completely dominate proceedings. But after a really fast first 10, 15 minutes, basically nothing happened after that. Um, and then two, you know, <clears throat> I, I kind of feel for Wednesday fans listening to this, I don't, we're going to talk about the refereeing decisions, um, but I kind of want to put them to one side for a second here because it would be too reductive of Wednesday's season to to basically qualify their or disqualify their achievements this season by talking about um, refereeing decisions and VAR and the rest of it. So let's put that to, to one side for a second. Uh, and we will also talk about Barnsley's spirited performance uh, in terms of, of, of what they managed when it was 11 v 10. Um, but in the game itself, you know, there was no denying that Wednesday were forcing Harry Eisted, Mads Anderson and um, Liam Kitching in particular to basically play the game of their lives to try and force this to get into into um, to penalties. You know, even though in the second half Wednesday were incredibly dis- disappointing and Barnsley, without question, I thought in the second half were by far the better team. You know, regardless of of having a, a few, um, of having ten men after Adam Phillips was sent off, um, in the, especially in extra time, Ison made. Um, I think the the save from Smith is one of the best saves I've ever seen in my whole life. In terms of it, I, I'm not I'm not even I'm not even exaggerating that. I think that because it's not just a I'm going to make myself big and hope the ball hits me. It is a deliberate act with his right arm to parry the ball away from point blank range in, you know, just an unbelievable moment. And then the block that came afterwards was was pretty similar. I thought Cameron Dawson also made a nine out of 10 save when James Norwood ran down the right-hand side and fired the ball in the near corner. You, You normally see when a ball has hit that true towards that near corner, it's very hard for a keeper to save it. Um, and he got a massive hand on it and parried it over the bar. Two massive saves. Anderson with with the blocks um, in the in the second half extra time were incredible. And even though, you know, I think Sheffield Wednesday were underwhelming in terms of their performance level um, yesterday, given that they played from forty nine minutes onwards with a, a man extra. Um, there's no denying that if it wasn't for the performances of those Barnsley players, they still would have run out comfortable winners here. Um, if those, if those, if Eisted, Anderson, and Kitchener put in standard League One goalkeeper and defensive performances, then I think Wednesday would have won this two or three nil. There was also the, you know, the, the save from Bannon where Bannon hit it into the, you know, fired it into the um, Eisted's bottom right hand corner, Bannon's bottom left, and it was turned away. Um, Bannon also scored nearly, nearly scored or hit one of the sweetest volleys from a dipping ball that was about 80 yards in the air and they went straight to Eisted. Um It was an absorbing contest between two sides where, you know, given the, the, the geographical proximity of the two, it was, you know, had that kind of needle to it, that bite to it of, uh, of not necessarily a derby, but definitely a, a rivalry of sorts um, between the two teams. And I just feel incredibly sorry for Barnsley that, they had to watch having held out so valiantly and have, you know, we'll get onto in a second with the, the, the decision that went against them in the game. Um, having thought that they'd been beaten when Will Volks fired <laughs> into the top right hand corner from 25 yards and then getting that reprieve and thinking there's our bit of luck, there's us coming back into the game. To have to see Windass heading it in later on in the game must have been devastating. But for Wednesday, 96 points in a season should be enough to get you promoted automatically. They came back from 4-0 down in the playoff semi-finals. They've got an un- the unbeaten home record um, at the club now. You know, it, it's hard to take anything away from them here. And I'm delighted for Darren Moore that he was able to get this promotion, um, given some of the stuff he's had to put up with about what has been, in my mind, a pretty good job, despite squandering a, a pretty dominant position, thanks to the relentless form of two other teams out of his control. Here, here, it was uh, amazing to see the Wednesday fans celebrating first Will Volks' disallowed goal uh, and then finally the one that counted from Josh Windass. They were in very, very high spirits and great voice yesterday and it was a, a real pleasure. That's also not to ignore the fact that Barnsley's fans, particularly after the red card for an extended period, were absolutely sensational and I believe that uh, a big part of Barnsley's impressive performance with 10 men was thanks to some of the support that they received from their fans behind that goal. Um, But the Wednesday fans, well, they had 
packed out more than half of Wembley, hadn't they? They were given that extra allocation at the top tier. They filled it. Um, I, I was, as mentioned, in Baker Street earlier in the day, and it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant to see that sort of atmosphere, that sort of support for their club. Um, it's the sort of thing that that uh, helps make English football very special, and it was great to see. Uh, so congratulations to them. The the play from Gregory, I think, is incredible in the build up to the goal. It was a game that had lacked. Uh, quality, I'd say, or deftness in and around the penalty box. As you've alluded to, the performances of the Barnsley centre-backs were sensational. But I think it's also fair to say that the Sheffield Wednesday centre-backs very much won their battles for the most part with Devante Cole and with uh, Tedic, and then slightly less so with Norwood, who had a fantastic cameo um, uh, in the second half and did, did the work of two men up top. Um, but it was Gregory who, just with a bit of pause and a little shimmy, and an extra shift of the ball just to find a tiny bit more space than he would have had if he had tried to cross it uh, initially. Um, and allowed the extra second for Windass to make up the ground and make that late run, get inside the box and be able to meet the cross perfectly with the header. Uh, it was a fantastic piece of play that we had waited 120 minutes for, um, really, from, from those two in particular, who well, I thought Windass had had a pretty quiet game up to that point. Um, in terms of the big decisions, uh, not long after half-time, George, it was a, a penalty appeal for Barnsley, a Gregory challenging, kitching in the box, uh, Barnsley asking for a pen, referee not interested, VAR not interested, uh, and then not long after that. Then it was the same Wednesday player, Gregory, involved uh, as Adam Phillips went into a challenge with Gregory, the referee sending off Adam Phillips, VAR checking and sticking with the on-field uh, decision. What did you make of both of those? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, what I want to say first is that it, it seemed a, a shame, and it always seems a shame to me that after a whole competition where VAR isn't applied, and I think with majority of fans not wanting VAR to introduce it for the playoff final seems um, a little bit s- silly in my mind. Like it, it just adds another layer of jeopardy that you don't really necessarily need. It kind of feels like if it's the same in my mind in the FA Cup. Like if, if, you should either have it in a competition or you shouldn't, rather than just have it when it's when it's feasibly possible to to introduce. Having said that, there was a very good bit of VAR that we saw um, with the uh, the Taylor goal late on in the Luton game in the Championship, which was a very, very obvious handball that Michael Oliver missed. And had Luton been promoted off the back of that, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been in this age, in this day of VAR, it would have been um, it would have been incredibly unfair on commentary. So in that regard, I'm a little bit torn as to what I think basically because that one incident. Um, Starting with the red card, I definitely personally don't think it's a red card. I think there is a very obvious intent to to play the ball. The ball is taken away by Gregory who gets there first, so therefore Phillips is late. I don't think there's excessive force there. I think if if the ball is there to be won and he gets the ball, you're not saying there's excessive force, you're not saying it's a foul. I don't think there's any intention um, to... To, to injure the player I don't think it's serious foul play I don't think it's dangerous play I think it's a yellow card um, I don't think it was two-footed I think he leads with his right foot and you see that the left foot is the one that makes contact with Gregory's bum but that is natural to happen through momentum through impact having said that and I tweeted at the time that it should be overturned I, I can see why it wasn't overturned I, I don't think it's necessarily as cut and dry as as, as, a, as it should have been I'm pretty confident as well that if um if it had been a yellow card, well, I mean, I'm 100% confident. If it had been a yellow card, there's absolutely no way VAR is, is giving a red card for that. Um, so I think they can feel harshly done by, but in the cold light of day, the next day, I, I think it's just, it's one of those unfortunate ones um, for Barnsley. The penalty decision is the one where I cannot wrap my head around how that isn't a penalty on review. Um, I've seen a lot of people say, Gregory has his eyes on the ball. His intent is to play the ball. All of that is is totally irrelevant when it comes to a foul. You know, the majority of, of fouls, like the ninety nine percent of fouls, I'd have thought the intent is to play the ball. But if you if you try and play the ball and the ball is taken away from you and you are late and you connect with the man, then that is a foul. And there's no denying that that is exactly what happened. I can understand why Tim Robinson wouldn't have seen it live. Um, but for the VAR, and we all, you know, everyone watching it saw it, and the commentary. I've watched the EFL feed where Sam Parkin is there being like, yeah, I think they've got a shout here on the Sky commentary. Everyone was like, yes, that is that, you know, there's a clear foul that has been made. And it's not given. 
And, you know, I've seen some people also saying, like, it's a playoff final. You don't want soft penalties given like that. Irrelevant, totally irrelevant. You know, the, the occasion shouldn't play a part in this. If anything, when the stakes are this high, you have to make sure that the laws are applied properly. And if I was a Barnsley fan this morning, or basically for the, for the future, I'd never be able to watch it instantly again because it's where the whole game turns. It was a clear penalty and a clear foul. And as I said, you know, Sheffield Wednesday after the season they've had, maybe they deserve some luck. And I'm certainly not taking anything away from their achievements this season. But it is a shame that such an amazing game in my mind, it will always have that decision made where VAR was there to correct clear and obvious errors and there was a clear and obvious error that was not overturned. The initial incident in real time, I can fully understand why the referee might have thought that either Gregory had got a touch on the ball or that you know the contact had been exaggerated or whatever it might be in real time and I could understand why he did not give the penalty immediately. Uh, I'm bamboozled as to how uh, after a few replays uh, it wasn't clear that Kitching pokes the ball and Gregory volleys Kitching. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. What's the point in having the having VAR? Like it just makes a mockery of the whole thing if you're not going to use it. Like the threshold shouldn't be so high or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a clear and obvious error. You change this, the decision from the on-pitch referee. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you 100. percent And um, I thought you were going to be a little bit stronger on the red card. I thought that was less of an issue, um, personally. I, I mean, I don't really know who decides what is or isn't excessive force. You know, your point was that you don't think that was excessive force. Um, I sort of... A, I mean, the, the law... Here's PC Maxwell going back to the laws of the game again. You know, the law says a tackle <laughs> or challenge that endangers the safety of, of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality. Um, this is any player who lunges at an opponent I'd say it was kind of lungy uh, in challenging from the for the ball from the front, from the side, or from behind, using one or both legs. So the whole two-footed thing with, that people bring up is is a bit of a waste of, of energy and air. Um, with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent, is guilty of serious foul play. So, you know, I can see again why it was considered that, or I can see why it wasn't overturned as being a, a terrible error. I would have been more than happy with a yellow card I think that would have been the outcome that that I thought was probably most appropriate but uh, the penalties the one I think that we're a bit more caught up on um, so that's that I remember talking about uh, VAR in the after the championship playoff final last year and it and it is a blow because it's, it's not what we want to be talking about after our, our favorite weekend of, of the year but big picture stuff George Sheffield Wednesday are back in the championship uh, just two seasons in league one some teams of their ilk and their size have spent longer down there um, but Darren Moore has been the perfect leader for this situation because I truly believe, aside from tactics, aside from recruitment, Moore's ability to lead a football club, a dressing room, to manage upwards, and that's really what I'm getting at here, to be able to counteract or cancel out what I perceive to be an ownership that absolutely has some suboptimal decision-making in it. For, for D Moore to have overseen it all, uh, kept such a level head at a club where both in the boardroom and dare I say it sometimes in the fan base level heads can be uh, can be lacking uh, that's the thing that that I think is the most important thing here and it's translated to a team that has been exactly what they needed to be as Sheffield Wednesday in League One strong and powerful uh, with excellent ind- individual players but very very solid at the back and good enough to score goals when necessary uh, 85 points last season uh, they took a few months to get going and then really um, flew after January uh, of last season and then 96 this season. It's been uh, objectively an, an incredible two years for the club and, and they popped back up to the Championship, George, where where they were there last time out. Well, it was a pretty serious decline uh, after losing in the 16-17 the playoffs for the second year in a row. Um, and now they head back and you really hope that there's some proper upward momentum. Yeah, you do. It does feel like a... A different case to Ipswich and um, and Plymouth Argyle, both teams there going up, where I think everyone kind of united behind the project and what they're doing. With Wednesday, it feels like a, a bad start, and the knives are going to come out for Darren Moore very, very quickly. Um, with a lot of the fan base still, you know, basically blaming him for not getting them, getting them promoted in the first place, blaming him for not making a better fist of promotion last season. There's no denying that when you're a club of Sheffield Wednesday's side in League One, you are eventually going to go up through just sheer force of your funds compared to everybody everybody else um and uh, you know in the championship that doesn't 
translate particularly well. You know, you talk about the, the decisions that are made under Chancery, I agree. You know, if, if they did sack Darren Moore, I wouldn't have much faith in terms of, of who they're going to um, replace him with. It's it's a pretty ageing squad. It's the oldest starting eleven in uh, in the Championship. Um, the Barry Bannon factor is way less of a thing next season. You know, having the best technical player in, in a whole division is pretty handy. It's a pretty handy thing to have. Bannon is a championship player. He'll be playing in the championship next season. He'll be a year older as well. Um, so I think there's work to be done. I'm, I'm definitely not overly negative. Uh, it just doesn't feel quite as a, a kind of safe situation at the moment at Hillsborough. I mean, it never really is. And it hasn't been under, under chancery for a long time. Um, and last time in the championship, you know, Moore has brought a period of, of uh, stability in terms of the management post that we hadn't really seen for a long time. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a return to chopping and changing fairly regularly, um, whilst needing to invest, in my mind, in some promising young players, which we haven't really seen them do. So, yeah, I mean, they, they are massively deserving of this, but I'm a bit bit worried about next season already. Overall, we are laying down the gauntlet to... Mr. Chanziri to oversee a, a, a well-functioning football club, uh, not to, to stick everything on the manager um, and to have the right people in place, not just in the dugout, but also in supporting roles off the field to help the, the squad regenerate and build, which it absolutely needs to. I, I, I really think they, they will need to be a better team um, than they have been, despite being an incredible League One team. Um, just my own perception of this team in the last few few weeks and months is that it needs it needs a you know a bit of a new skin next season, and, and thankfully that they've they've got up and they will be a big draw for players, uh, and hopefully the recruitment is spot on and, and and they're in good shape come the start of next season. Uh, as for Barnsley, relegated from the Championship last season, George hiring Mike Duff, uh, general vibe of you know, kind of consolidating and rebuilding rather than putting pressure on immediate promotion. But Duff's overperformance uh, and a lot of the players stepping up in particular suddenly turns them into right up there with among the best teams in this division and uh, minutes away, you'd say, from from potentially going straight back up. So um, I, I'm sure we will be in agreement here that for Barnsley, this is a bit of a sickener. But no need to panic and certainly plenty of reasons to feel uh, fairly confident and bullish about attacking what looks to be a, a weaker League One next season. Definitely. I mean, right now, if, if the league was to start tomorrow, you'd be pretty confident that they, that they would be the best team in it, in my view. You're looking at Derby, who are probably going to have to recruit a lot of new players over the course of the summer. But we'll, um, even with the... the uh, you know, the restrictions on place in terms of the transfer activity, we'll still have a budget you know, that should see them dominate that market at League One level. Bolton, who have lost two key players in, in Trafford and um, and Bradley, uh, who will have to recruit as well. With Barnsley, it feels like they have the players and the form to be the kind of the best team as it is, but there are key personnel who you have to wonder whether or not they are definitely going to be there next season. Duff certainly being one. I think he's fast becoming one of the most attractive managerial prospects in 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 the EFL in terms of he's taken on two clubs both very very different in terms of, of stature and size and geographical location and everything about them really um, playing different styles of football at both and has been incredibly successful with both um, you know taking Cheltenham from the the lower regions of the League 2 up into League 1 safety and now taking on a, a relegated Barnsley side and completely rerouting their course um, will he be there next season Mads Anderson surprised a few people by staying last summer his contract's out up in a year as was the case with Harmer and uh, and Jokeres, you have to think if he's not going to sign a new contract, they probably should be looking to cash in. Is he the best centre-back in League One? Uh, I think right now, next season, he definitely looks like he is. Um, so, and, and, you know, there are other key players throughout the side as well who they're going to have to to make a d- decision on. Um, I think as long as Duff is there, it's impossible in my mind to see them being any worse. I, I think in what looks like it's, it's a, a pretty weak renewal next season of, of League One. You know, losing Wednesday and... Um, Ipswich is massive, you know, the two sharks in the league. Uh, Argyle, who you know, had two seasons worth of being an exceptional League One side with just that blip at the back end of the season before last, uh, stopping them from being a top six side the season before. Um, getting promoted is, is huge. And you look at the teams coming down, Wigan already with eight points deducted for next for, for this season. Reading still managerless with the points deduction last season. Um, Blackpool, you know, Neil Critchley is back, but 
it's hard right now to, to see why he would immediately get them back to being the side that they were previously. And then even the teams who have been promoted, you know, Orient, massive respect for them. But I don't think any of those four teams coming up are, are going to have massive expectations to their team to, to punch up in the way that maybe a, a Stockport would have done given the financial um, clout that they've got. Um, so it's there for the taking, in my mind. Um, you know, we've seen Peterborough transfer list basically the whole squad uh, as well. Um, the Fleetwood owner situation is another one you know it doesn't feel like there are many good news stories right now in league one um so for Barnsley it really feels like if you can just hold on to what you've got and repeat this performance from this season again next season I think they'll they'll, they'll go up fairly comfortably Mike Duff's teams have shown progression every single year that he has been a manager so far uh, first at Cheltenham and then clearly with with such an impressive team performance uh, and, and managerial performance this season as well. I'm excited to see them get even better. I don't think for a second that this, you know, this has to be the best Barnsley side under Duff. This this doesn't have to be the best that they look. Um, the fact that they suddenly took on this like terrifying attacking form in the second half of the season makes me very excited for them potentially scoring a lot of goals next season in League One. Um, even, I mean, his Cheltenham team last season in League One scored 66 goals and Barnsley 80. So, you know, for initially I probably thought of Duff as like a, an absolute wizard of out of possession shape and, uh, you know, mid blocks and pressing at the right times and set pieces and that sort of style. And now I basically see him as that plus someone who's able to coach teams to be among the best attacking teams in, in the division, even without necessarily the best attacking players on paper. So um, couldn't be basically more of a Mike Duff fan and uh, yeah, re- uh, certainly echoing what you're saying. They, they've they've certainly got their pride back this season after such a horrible 21-22 campaign. Uh, and I, I see only good things next season uh, from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, they will be joined in League One by Carlisle United. Is that not Something quite special, George Ellick. Carlisle finished 20th in League Two last season. They've been in League Two for um, seven, eight, nine seasons or so. One other playoff campaign before this. But it's not a club that has been a happy place for the majority of the last decade until Paul Simpson, the Cumbrian god, walked through the door again and has led them into League One. They beat Stockport on penalties, a bit like the Championship final. They couldn't sp- be split in regular time, a one-all draw, Stockport taking the lead, a deflected Alafe, probably a cross really, wasn't it, that, that took a wicked nick off of John Mellish and flew over uh, Thomas Holy into the goal. It would have been a shame if that goal decided a playoff final, I think. Thankfully, it woke Carlisle up. They were absolutely excellent in the second half and in extra time. The better team for me, uh, subs making an impact in particular, Omari Patrick scoring a brilliantly taken goal. The shooting boots that have eluded him and some of his strike partners for many months uh, were back on the big stage. Uh, Edmondson came on and, and made a big impact as well, which I uh, I was really pleasantly surprised about. Um, there was just one bonkers minute in the game, wasn't there, George? There was a, a Carlisle attack, uh, a shot that was cleared off the line. I'm not sure if we ever saw a replay of that because of what happened, but I mean, it looks like a handball on the line to me, but they did check it uh, yeah. as play carried on and, and VAR said no, no issue there. But I don't think we ever saw a replay because Stockport went down the other end, had a five on three and Sarsovic tried a little sort of outside of the right foot, back spinning pass out wide, didn't get it right. It was cut out. Carlisle come back down the other end and what a great goal as it was a ball into the channel for Gibson who was lively after he came on he found a bit of space um, senior underlapped him the right wing back and, and took the ball brilliantly in his stride cutting it back uh, a toe of a Stockport defender poking it out to Patrick on the edge to smash it in that, that was a, an amazing minute or so at Wembley uh, there was plenty still to come in, in extra time I mean one save each from the goalkeepers that are among the best saves I've ever seen League 2 goalkeepers make that Hinchliffe save was, was like Seaman against Sheffield United absolutely unbelievable better I'm saying better than <laughs> Seaman's because the, the flick header was more wow. powerful than, than the header that Seaman had to face better than Ice did oh, don't make me choose that Carlisle won it on pens George and they'll be League 1 next season Paul Simpson, from my reckoning, has taken charge of three full seasons at Carlisle and all three have ended with promotion, <laughs> which is just incredible. You know, he took over Carlisle in 2003 um, after a points deduction and was at the helm when they got relegated to the National League. They then won the National League playoff final in 2004-2005. He was player manager 
and then they won League Two in 2005-2006, after which he moved to Preston North End that summer. He then came back to Carlisle partway through last season, kept them up, and now has taken them up to League One again. Like, it is... You now you wanted to see a film about Luton. I want to see Paul Simpson, the film. Um, ideally, it can start with him scoring some goals off the wing for Oxford back in the 80s, which I, I sadly missed because I wasn't alive. Uh, but I've heard it was very fun to watch. Um, it is, you know, and, and it, the great thing about it is that he's a Carlisle boy who never played for them until um, he went there to play a manager at the end of his career. It is just incredible what he's done uh, and to do so with his son sitting on the opposition bench as well at Wembley. Um as, as head of uh, head of performances at Stockport, um, yeah, I mean this was, you know, I said they were the rank outsiders for the playoffs before, um, before the 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 semis, and um, I would, you know, obviously I was I was wrong, but I would stand by that given what we'd seen coming into the the games, um, but the performances they put in in all three fixtures was just magnificent. Like I, you know, I didn't think stockport were particularly good value for their lead really you know it was a deflected cross that went in obviously game ta- game state then dictates that stockport are probably not going to have as much of the ball or, or as much territory as they would have had otherwise but i thought stockport were, were fairly off it all game like i kind of mentioned before the, the before the final much to uh, have to have a chat with dana who does our social media not to post clips of, of me slagging teams off because it means i lose about six hours the next day by arguing <laughs> with fans um but, you know, I said before that, that it didn't really feel like Stockport were at their best. Having loved them all season and really thought that at their best, they, no one can really live with them. They weren't great over two legs against Salford and they weren't great here either. They just felt a bit half-cooked. Obviously, personnel missing. Obviously, players, you know, like Will Collar, who's had injury issues, came off the bench here and looked really... He basically couldn't run in extra time. You know, it did feel like a, injuries and lack of fitness came at the worst time for a lot of these key players. Um, but I thought on the day... Carlisle were fully deserving of getting the equaliser through a Murray Patrick. Um, a brilliant finish into the into the bottom left-hand corner. Um, and it would have been very harsh on them to, to lose this final. Um, an amazing story where, you know, Simpson deserves all the credit. You know, sometimes you have to look at a club as a whole. But I think when, when you see a manager come into a club who were on their knees and instigate such an amazing turnaround, playing really great stuff inspired recruitment you know, I think Owen Moxon has to go down as one of the best bits of business we've seen at League 2 level in a long time I'd love to know the story around behind you know I'd love to dig deeper into that signing because obviously a player who was released from the club without making an appearance coming back and, and, and being the player that he's been I can be pretty sure that Carlisle are going to have to be fairly ambitious if they're going to keep hold of Moxon next season um, yeah an, an amazing season and I really hope that the Simpson story continues and you know what we said about League One earlier, maybe it's, he'll make it four promotions from four full seasons next season. Yeah, the Moxon story is unbelievable and it's worth retelling once more. Uh, born in Carlisle, released by the club as a kid. He played for three seasons at Annan Athletic and he was playing in Scottish League Two. He was working as a UPS driver one year ago delivering uh, parcels and uh, the story of the signing is is pretty straightforward I think Peter Murphy who is one of Carlisle's he might be their all-time appearance holder you know uh, over 400 league games for Carlisle in the well 2001 to 2013 he is at Annan Athletic and he knew that he wasn't going to be able to keep Owen Moxon any longer and he wanted his former club Carlisle United to be the ones uh, to be aware of how good this kid was so uh, I believe recommended Moxon to the club as a, a re-signing and he's been absolutely unbelievable. And, and he, again, showed here with, with range of passing, with composure on the ball, you know, rare qualities really in, in busy League Two midfield battles, um, that drive that he has as well, uh, getting box to box when necessary, covers distance really well and throws himself around. It's uh, it's It's been an absolutely astonishing season for Moxon. He's quite clearly, I'm afraid, the sort of uh, obvious story in terms of the playing personnel for for uh, Carlisle United. But uh, as with any promoted team, you can go through the squad and, and pick out many more. I was in particular very impressed with the performances of Senior at right wing back, who did not start the season as, as Carlisle's first choice right wing back. And I'm sure there'd have been uh, Carlisle fans who'd have thought that, you know, maybe wouldn't have been the, their choice at playing right wing back heading into a playoff campaign, but was excellent here. Uh, Corey Whelan filled in in defence, having not been first choice uh, in the back three for for the for any part of the season really um, but coming in due to Feeney's injury and he made a big block in the final as well um, I think it's great they've got Paul Huntington there just organizing things and 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 defending his box well Thomas Holy's a very popular player 
Uh, I think he's the tallest goalkeeper in English football and uh, made a fantastic save that was, you know, somewhat uh, ruined by Hinchliffe's astounding grab uh, a minute or two later. Um, just loads and loads of good stories uh, and they will be in League One next season. We look forward to covering them then. There was an interesting wrinkle where the first two playoff finals were won on penalties and the managers of the teams that won were both former FA guys. So Rob Edwards worked with the England under-16s for a bit a couple of years ago. Um, um, Paul Simpson also spent time in the uh, England youth setup working with the FA um, and they both mentioned that a study that the FA analysis department did on penalties a few years ago, um, run by a guy called Chris Markham, who now works for Bolton Wanderers. He did this ginormous study into penalties, you know, looked at more stuff than you could ever look at when it comes to the angle of the run-up and things like that. Um, came out with some insights that were delivered to those who worked at the FA, you know, for, for use in major tournaments. Uh, and Simpson and Edwards both drew heavily on, on, on those insights ahead of those penalty shootouts. So whether that had anything to do with it... Shame it didn't work at Wembley in 2020, isn't it? It's a huge shame. Um, <laughs> penalties and working out exact reasons why penalty shootouts go one way or the other. Uh, it's a bit of a fool's errand. But, you know, these, these extra bits of marginal gains, sometimes that's what gets you into League One rather than staying down uh, in League Two. Uh, Carlisle should be a, an inspiration to all League Two teams. Um, that are, are getting ready for another season in the fourth tier, same as Stevenage. You know, those two teams finished 20th and 21st in that division in 21-22, and they'll both be playing a league above next season. If you get a managerial appointment right, if you support them properly, if you recruit, it does not have to be big names. You don't have to splash tons of cash. You don't have to outspend the opposition in League Two, you just have to do it well. Now, that's not easy to do, but if you get it right and you have the right manager, it's unbelievable what can happen in, in such a short period uh, of time. Uh, George, what next for, for Stockport? Um, I got the sense, I just generally get the sense from the club that while, of course, it's horrendous to lose uh, in that way, that there's just this like kind of bullishness, this like... This feeling that the club is pretty secure in itself is pretty confident that it's going to get where it needs to be. And if it wasn't over the weekend, then, well, maybe it'll be next season. That That's certainly the, the vibe I get from the club. Do you think that that's fair? And do you think they have, you know, if they are bullish and confident, that they have the right to be? Yeah, I mean, I, it, I might be wrong, but it, it almost felt like that bullishness translated into complacency a little bit over the last few weeks. Um, you took a very interesting photo I thought just before the penalties um, which showed the two teams ahead of the, the, the penalty shootout and Carlisle to a man were engaged in a, in a huddle a very tight huddle the Stockport players and staff were kind of dispersed around the technical area with Chalina on his own with a with a, a pen and a bit of paper um, I wonder if Stockport know how good they are they know that they've got some of the best players in the league. They know that they are going to be able to retain those players. And so therefore, kind of the, the urgency to, to go and achieve wasn't really there. And it kind of felt like that on the final game of the season against Hartlepool as well. I I definitely think, you know, if, if there were any Wrexham fans or any Notts County fans watching yesterday, um, I'm, I'm fairly bullish that that was a bad result for them because I, I can't see any reason why Stockport won't be at least as good as they were this season, next season, and probably better. Um, but there was, you know, it, it. you said it didn't really feel like they're at it. Or didn't you, I think you said you thought for the first time ever that one team wanted it more. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you. Like it, it just, it did all just feel a little bit flat, which I, I can't really understand. Certainly not from the fans, you know, certainly. And I'm sure I'm by no means saying that the players were, were any less motivated than Carlisle, but something just felt a little bit off um, throughout the playoff campaign. And maybe it was just fatigue and, as I say, injured players coming back and not being quite at the, the, the physical peak that they wanted to be at. Their squad is going to be strong and deep next season. They're in a, a strong financial position. They're able to flex their muscles. They're able to offer wages that uh, most of their competitors are not able to do. And they have uh, a, a pretty crack recruitment team working on it as well from, you know, from the looks of, of what they did last summer. And again, in January, you know, I would be very confident that this Stockport team will look as strong, if not stronger, probably, uh, than it does this season. And, you know, if Wooten comes back, I, I saw him at Wembley with his knee in a brace, which is always slightly concerning for a, someone that puts in as much physical work as him and, and you know, 
does so many aerial duels and wins so many of them. Uh, so hopefully he'll come back uh, in good shape and uh, yeah, not too worried. I think it's fair to say about Stockport County ahead of next season. And that's it. And that's it. There we go. 92 that's a wrap. pods and out for the 22-23 season. Uh, thank you for listening. George, I love you, man. I love you too. Oh, that's nice. Um, please stay with us. Don't unfollow us. Don't unsubscribe. We'll be back in, I don't know, some weeks. We're going to do some recharging. I hope you don't mind. Uh, we will still be around on NTT20 squad. Uh, and as discussed at the top, we do need your support more than ever heading into next season so that we can keep getting bigger and better and making sure that the EFL gets the coverage that it deserves. So please do um, join us for the ride. And if, if you can provide any support, there are ways of doing that. Uh, head to the Substack ntt20.substack.com and um, we got some season reviews going out thank you so much to our 72 contributors um, for their thoughts on their team's season I really believe it'll be the definitive piece of writing in terms of reviewing the EFL season that was uh, thank you to the EFL for providing us these leagues to talk about each week it's been an absolute pleasure guys go well <laughs>